welcome to Infernal Contraptions, a podcast series intended to shed some light on the world of classic motorcycling, especially maintenance and restoration, but lots of other stuff too, on the little rock that is Guernsey. In this episode, I'm delighted to welcome someone who I hope will be a regular guest and an inspiration for all of our oily obsessions. I'm Tim Loveridge, and this is episode one with the owner of the oily rag, Phil the Lever. So come on, Phil. Oh, yeah. Talk, talk so to me about you. Yeah. Yeah. The first on. motorcycle was a... My dad bought me home a Mobilette, or Motor Bacane, I think it was. And we were 13, me and my friend Keith Laker. And uh, got it running, and we used to whiz around the garden. And um, we had a, a go-kart made out of an old uh, pram, set pram wheels. A skid on the front and wheels on the back. And we used to tow it around until the... Tires came off the rims of the skid, and they used to tumble off and go down the down the garden. So that's how we started. How old were you? Thirteen. Thirteen, something like that. And then we all had bikes, age fourteen. Yeah. Um, actually, my first bike ever was a, a P80, I think, Suzuki P80, but very quickly replaced with a a, a brand new A A100 Suzuki in orange, and I still have it. So a top bike. Was that the one where you were riding the other night? Was no, that, that was my, my friend Jeff Nichols, and uh, uh, he had that. And then a, another friend, Roger de Putran, had an ASS 100, which uh, I think fell in half. I think it, the frame broke in half. But uh, we had a lot of fun on, on very small bikes. And so we, we started... Brilliant. So, so for, those, for anybody that gets round to listening to this and they may be not in this small island, this small rock in the middle of the channel called Guernsey, um, we should probably explain that the laws are somewhat different here to the UK and other places. So we have always been allowed to ride motorcycles up to a certain size from 14 years old, which is unusual. When we were young, if you were 14 you could have 100, if you were 16 you could have anything you wanted. Um, And then that changed to now you can have a 50 when you're 14, a 125 when you're 16 and an unlimited size bike at 17. There are a few twists and turns to the law, aren't there? But, but uh, you can still ride at 14, which is fantastic. Mainly because the speed limits are low and, uh, and most people are reasonable on the road. You have to ride very defensively everywhere, but in Guernsey, every, every house driveway is a potential off. So. Uh, those that have a, a few minor accidents when they're young um, survive because they know it hurts when you fall. It's a bit of a rite of passage, really, isn't it? Really? Yeah. yeah. We've all fallen off when we were young. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell you. Yeah, oh, OK, we'll have to get into that at some point. Um, I, I guess other oddities around the island, though, because it, um, most, of the, most of the island, the absolute top speed limit is 35 miles an hour. Uh, there's lots of places now that are 25 mile an hour. We have things called, because we've got this link to France as well, these route tranquils, um, which means it's actually technically 15 miles an hour and it's predominantly for you know bridle paths, kind of horses and walkers and stuff. So it's a very tranquil island, but it's made noisy by our motorcycling addictions, I guess. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it is a lovely place, but um, it, is, it is frustrating, uh, the speed limit. 
But more more frustrating probably is the amount of users. That, you know, you got you got the cyclists and motorbikers and cars, and you have visitors who who are interested in driving techniques and um, and are funny filter in turns, which are like box junctions, but they're not. So it, it it's it's just very busy. So if you if you are a biker, you need to get off the island regularly and. Of course, we can't get there at the moment because of the COVID stuff. Well, it's not easy. France is my uh, chosen route, but uh, uh, England will do. England and Wales and Scotland have done a, done a fair bit of riding over there. Just to explain the size of the island, so uh, this is a little triangular island. Um, it's the second largest one in the Channel Islands, the biggest one being Jersey. And we are five miles wide by seven miles long, give or take. Uh, I think if you get if you go all around the island's coast road, it's about 22, 23 miles. So that's pretty much it, and uh, so it's not a big area. Um, but actually, saying that, the the number of interesting people over here with really interesting addictions to very nice motorcycles is staggering. Really, I think per capita, very, very, very keen people. So, some have got an illness, want to collect too many bikes, and haven't got enough time to sort them out. Uh, <laughs> and others. And others are really very talented engineers, and you know, the range from people that want them to be mechanically right, and those that just want to buff them up and probably don't worry too much about how they run. But we'll come back to that, I think. Tim. We will. Okay, so you were you were riding around the fields until the rims, uh, until the tyres cape fell away from the rims. The uh, on the go kart. Yeah, and then you had your uh, and the Suzuki, Suzuki eighteen hundred. Yeah. And was 16, I had a one eight, GT185 Suzuki, and 17, I bought a GT250, went off to university eventually. Spent a year or so picking tomatoes and playing in a band, but went off on this GT250 to, up to Bradford, where I subsequently bought things like an old ex-police commando and a BSA B40, an old army one. Which I've still got the B BSA, um, and the illness carried on. But before I left, I bought um, the Velocet Viper and uh, 1958 Thunderbird, um, 5TA Triumph. Uh, it was, uh, I was already contaminated before I left the army. I came back with more, and it just—it was at a time when people weren't interested in in the old British stuff. And it was cheap, and uh, I, I really enjoyed the process of fixing them. Um, it was something I could do, um, do it reasonably well. Made a lot of mistakes, like a lot of people do. But eventually, you work out when you've done enough bikes how uh, how to do the work on them. Um, and it's very rarely sold anything. Sold sold that Viper that I had. I ran it for three years. Once I'd fixed it, it came as a basket case and um, got very poor at the time when interest rates were very high and had to sell it. And um, since then I've replaced it with several Vipers to, to sort of compensate for my loss of loss of that bike. Because you're a Veloset nut, aren't you? I mean, yeah. if, if, if I was to ask you which yeah. brand... Yeah, it's always Veloset. Yeah. It's always been Veloset. I did brief, very briefly have an AJS aged 16. That was awful, really awful, late, late thing. Um, 
but then I had a villa, and that was lovely, always was lovely, and in, intriguing from an engineering point of view. I should add, again, for, for a bit of ambience while we're talking, uh, we're actually currently the oily rag. We'll describe this later in either this podcast or another one. We'll see how we go. Uh, but we've got the doors open and the windows open, and we're just sat in the open lounging area, I suppose. There's a Honda Bentley uh, sitting right next to me with a circular stool next to that as well. So it's kind of an eclectic mix of stuff in here. A very interesting clock with a very large weight on it. So, like I said, eclectic. But uh, so if you're listening and you hear little two strokes or cars go past or somebody just wanders in and says what you want to, then don't be surprised because that's very much the nature of the oily rag. Mm. So it's um, okay. So yeah. first Vela sets. Yeah, first Vela sets. Uh, the Norton Commandos. I had a, a, a Mark One Fastback Commando from 1968, a really really early one. I used that for a long time in, in the UK, um, and uh, eventually. I gave up university before I got thrown out. I did three years and then... Um, what were you studying? I was studying um, industrial technology and management. Okay. And, um, so you could have sorted out Triumph then, really? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. Could anybody have sorted it. I eventually came back. But uh, after that, I suppose it was whatever came along. And, and I, had, I, I had a fair few Triumphs. Uh, Tiger Cubs and all that small stuff, um, but always the Velocets, and we were poor for a long time, married, massive mortgage, three children, no facilities, uh, usual story, you know, and um, late eight, the late 80s, early 90s, um, the bikes just languished in the greenhouse for, for years and years, which, which is why some of them look a bit like they do. Yeah. Mm. There are plenty of bikes around this um, this large facility, this this mm. warehouse, come workshop, um, but uh, they and they all seem to have a, a bit of a history to them. And, they yeah. do, yeah, yeah. But they they all need cleaning up just the once because they've come out of some terrible storage conditions. Once they're clean, cleaned up, they'll stay nice. It's a nice nice place. It's got a stable temperature. Yeah, and, um, you do clean something some aluminium or some chrome. It just stays like that because it's um, it's all under floor heated and um, heavily insulated. And it's about uh, total. It's about two thousand square feet, um, with half of uh, a third of it upstairs. We've got a, a forklift um, with its jib cut off, bolted to the wall to get the bikes up and down. And these, these ingenious cradles you've got as well. So all the bikes are in cradles. Yes. So talk a bit about... Managing people's um, activities seem to be the biggest problem. If we're going to have lots of people working here, the, the, it seemed to me the best thing was to have a cradle. So we've got cradles that, that will take um, any weight of motorcycle. And on the front of the cradle is a storage system that allows you to put all the bits of the bike, if it's in pieces, into into drawers and shelves and that. So your project always stays together, um, whether it's in one piece or a million pieces. Um, and those cradles are on wheels um, and they can take, I think I think you could take up to about two tons these cradles. They've got really heavy casters on them. Um, not that a bike weighs anything like two tons, but the, the bottom line here is if you, if you have a cradle, uh, keep, keep yourself to the cradle. If you can't keep yourself to the cradle, I'm, 
might just deliver your bike to a public car park. <laughs> That's an advert for the oily rag, so yeah, it's not be a, careful. It's, it's not a club, it's a dictatorship. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm just looking at a canoe that's hanging from the top of the oily rag as well. That's yeah. a canoe, yeah? It's got yeah. no skin on it, but it's a no, canoe. It was a canvas-covered canoe left by the Germans uh, after the occupation. Um, and there are a few over here. A, it was a kit that uh, I believe was made in Scandinavia, but, but the Germans used them. And we, and my wife, uh, my wife's side of the family, she, she used it as a child and the canvas went rotten. And I recovered it and we used it when our children were young and it's gone rotten again. So it's only a matter of time before we cover it again and use it for the, our grandchildren. Fantastic. So again, for those people that are overseas listening to this, the uh, Channel Islands was occup were occupied by the, the Germans in the Second World War. And there's quite another story there really um, about the kids that were sent away to the UK and people that stayed here and, and their interaction with, with, with the Germans when they were here. But, uh, but there's a lot of legacy stuff, I guess. There's, you know, we were here the other night and one of the guys had an old German bayonet that we were talking about, which is kind of interesting. Like you said, the canoe that's hanging above our heads mm. and other bits and pieces that are just memorabilia from that time as well. I mean, the, you know, the German occupation museum and stuff like that is full of old tanks and bikes and cars and weaponry, right, really, yeah. isn't it? So, yeah, that's right. But, uh, sorry, we digress, which I suspect we're going to do a lot, but yeah, hey, it is what it is. So, okay, so... You were poor, you had poor, yeah, and then kids, um, mortgage. We're very, we're very hard, we're lucky in business and um, retired um, late 50s. And um, uh, after, after I'd helped my children either physically re, re, rebuilding houses, each of them, and uh, financially to small degrees, to allow them to get going on the housing market, and I built, built this thing, this, uh, this building. Can we just pause there? Because I want to talk about your kids a little bit, because they're very skilled engineers in their own right, aren't they? Or at least some of them are. Yeah. I mean, do you want to just touch on... I mean, because yeah, I, yeah. I look at like, the gym's welding skills and stuff like this. I mean, yeah. it's... Do you want to just talk yeah. a bit about yeah. the kids? Yeah. The kids that are grown up? Yeah, well, both the boys did um, uh, engineering apprenticeships. One, both at Marine and General, a local engineering company for the... More Marine now than it that used to be, but they used to be general engineers. And they both did um, the same five-year apprenticeship. One, one as a welder and with some machine experience, and the other one as a machinist with some welding experience. And I think they both did about eight years in total there, and then left to join the family business. And my daughter um, uh, yeah, trained and qualified as a as a nurse, a nurse, um, and. Um, Actually, that wasn't for her any more than being on the end of a spanner was for the boys, and she joined the business as well. So they um, they allowed. Well, actually, they asked me not to come to work anymore. <laughs> and, and they, they've allowed me to retire, so which is great. And uh, indulge indulge this passion amongst I mean, several things. We were very lucky. We have a, a, a half a dozen grandchildren with more coming, um, and. Um, So the oily rag then, when did, when did you start building this? When did you start um, building it together? Well, I bought, I bought, well, I knew that the law was, my, some of my background is in developing warehouses, and I knew that the, 
law was going to change to encourage people to to tidy up old glasshouse sites, and there there are a lot still in Guernsey. Um, they were going to change the law to um, enable people to fund the clearance of the sites um, whilst getting something in return. And in, in this case, um, they've allowed me to have a light industrial classification unit on a greenhouse site that had had, had, had some uh, been been badly used mm. for some time. Had autocross cars and various compliance orders put on it by the planners and they were pleased to see it tidied up. So the law changed, I made an application and I, I was the first one to get permission, a bit of a test bed for the, this change in the law. Um, since then it's become a little more difficult to get this sort of shed out of, uh, out of the planners but, but uh, I was lucky and um, in a position to to spend some money on myself for a change rather than uh, reinvesting in the business or the children. Um, and we started building in the spring. It was really wet. Uh, with the when was that, 2017? Yeah, about four years, yeah, okay. four years okay. ago. And the idea was to get it finished for the 20th of October, which was my daughter's wedding. We had the wedding reception in here with the band and, and the like. So a couple hundred people, and uh, it was great. But it got it got the building finished in good order, in good time. Um, and since then, I've been uh, fitting it out, and and it's taken the best part of that, that four years to, to do that. But it's nearly there now. And just just explain the way because it's it's separate, it's segregated into different. Yeah, the six boxes. Yeah. There's four on the ground floor, two on the upstairs. Each one's about about uh, my maths is right. Uh, about 400 square feet or something like that, each box. So we've got one, one as a social come reception area, one box. The next box has got bikes that work. Uh, the next room is bikes that are being worked on. And the last room on the ground floor is um, the machine shop. So we've got lathes, mill, pillar drill, TIG, TIG welder, stick welder, um, rollers, got most things here yet to add a, a wet blasting machine I have a dry blaster at home still so it's on press that came in quite useful yeah, for me thank you for that yeah, yeah. press and um, lots and lots of machine tools that the boys have acquired um, during their apprenticeships so we're well set up and we do most things we don't we don't have a paint shop um, but maybe one day um, we'll add another room somewhere and then upstairs is storage for the for the the bikes that are on cradles. It's basically managing, managing how people use the place, um, and making the best use of, of the space. Talk to me about your vision for this. Then I guess that's the thing. I mean, because you, in, before twenty seventeen, before you applied for the plan, you obviously thought I want to put something together. And I don't know whether it's, is it a legacy, is it a space um, that you it, need, or is it something for the future? What was yeah, the yeah interesting. Well, part of it is you've got to tidy up your life before you die. And you, there's no point in leaving 50 bikes or however many there were at that time um, in uh, scattered around various premises and you don't know which bit goes with which bike and, and the like. Because they're still scattered at the moment. I mean, they're not all in one place yet, are they? They are now. They're all in oh, okay. here. Okay, okay. Well, that's... <laughs> 
<laughs> I always say that, but it's not, it's not true. I've Sunny fibs. They are fibs. all in here. Let's go for that. <laughs> um, so t- tidying it up so that when I'm dead, the boys can go to, say, a BSA or a Vincent or something and go, yeah, I know that's not working, but I know that all the bits are in that cradle and if I needed to, if they want to liquidate any assets, they can do that. So first of all, get it sorted. Um, the second thing was I, I don't want to be in a cold place in yeah. the winter. Yeah. I want I want the bikes to be in stable condition. So this this each zone, each of the six zones in this place is separately adjustable and run most of the working areas at, a, at about between 16 and 18 degrees. Otherwise you get too hot when you're working. And then the social room we're running at 21, something like that. So it's a, a stable environment, one that um, that you're going to be comfortable coming in at all times. And then never kneel if you're an engineer, never kneel on the floor. So we've got three bike lifts um, and so I want to be standing up. I want the place to be clean and warm and inviting and so they can get on with work that this is it's nice to, it's just a nice place to come yeah, to, to get on with the job. Yeah. Um, so, and then the bottom line was if the children, I mean, they are, they, they have got a load of bikes themselves, so it's not like I'm, I'm giving them a legacy they're not interested in. So, uh, I'm hoping that in the, in due course, they'll come to use the place. But if they didn't, you, this place was designed to be individually let as four separate units and they can liquidate the stuff that's in it and um, let the place out if they don't have a use for it themselves. So it's not, not a completely foolish investment. But it's a wonderful space. I mean, it's amazing that, you know, the separate block for the loos and the kitchen and stuff as yeah. well. It's very w- well thought out. But uh, I, I guess, uh, would you say all throughout your life, the, the, the one of the threads has been bikes. You've always been to bikes. Have you ever yeah. wandered away from bikes? Yeah, well, always... no, we had boats. We, we do boats as well. Old boats, as you <laughs> might expect. Old wooden boats. Dad had a modern... Dad had a series of racing yachts, and we learned to sail doing that, and then cruising yachts. But, um, but I always had an old fishing boat with um, some sort of hand crank Brit motor in it or something like that. Do you still fish, or do you...? Yeah, we still got a we still got an old wooden fishing boat in Bosap, um, which isn't very far away. Thoroughly yeah. neglected, but uh, it, it's uh, yeah, you can still go out do a few pots and get some fish. Okay, so anything anything mechanical. I mean, how doing houses up is is a very practical thing to do. You know, there's quite a lot Absolutely, of engineering yeah. involved in, in vintage houses. I mean, we all seem to be doing up knackered houses. So yeah, I've had a load of different interests. The bikes have always been there in the background. Um, didn't have a car for most of my life, and when we did get a, a vehicle, we, we've always had vans. Just not interested in cars. Yeah, I, I concur. Because I think, because the first time you and I met properly for a chat was, so I was going away to France with the wife on the back of my Ducati, right. and you were, Riding your one of your very lovely Vela sets yeah. down to a Vela set meeting yeah, in the, the Loire. Yeah, that was a great. I really had a good time. I quite like riding on my own. Um, take a spare magneto and 
<laughs> always carry a spare magneto. Always carry a spare magneto. You've got to swap it when you're... you've got a magneto and a spark plug. You're probably not. You're probably going to be able to bail yourself out of most breakdowns. And I went down to the Loire and had a did a rally with uh, I don't know 30, 40 Frenchmen all on bellows and had a lovely time and, and rode back and the bike the bike I only bought it three weeks before I went down there. Well, I knew where it had come from and I knew it was well sorted. I had no trouble at all. Because you always swear that because that's the that's the one with the absolutely true straight frame. Yes. It rides on rails and it's Yep. The fellow had owned it for thirty plus years and before that his brother had had it and he was a tool maker by trade. So, so I, you know, they're very precise tool makers. They're they're like they're the ones that come before um, machinists. Yeah. They make the machines for the machinists. Because I couldn't, well, as you know, because we, we went for a ride out the other night and I was very fortunate to ride the, the Vela set that Phil's talking about. Um, and I couldn't start the bloody thing. I mean, that's an acquired art. Uh, but typically in front of an audience, he kicked it once and it started and we rode off together, which was fun. So lucky. But, uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but equally, I mean, you know, it's fascinating. Uh, we, we have a thing called the Green Man over here, which is you know, once a month or the... The, the weird and the wonderful motorbikes come out with their owners and, and we all share our obsessions. And, um, and so yeah, there can be you know, over 100 motorbikes down at our White Rock, which is um, just in the main harbour in St. Peterport. And you see and just the most amazing bikes. I mean, some people are absolute nut and bolt crazy. You know, other people just are quite happy with the patina of an old bike. But, but weirdly, the other night, Phil was on a Suzuki 800, wasn't it? What yeah. year was that? That's 800, 1968. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, a rust, it's fully a rust, right? And it smokes like a chimney. But it's but got it, a lovely patina, yeah. I think you'll, you'll, you'll find. But I think, I think that, that kind of probably had the most attention of all the bikes there, yeah. which is amazing, really. See, what gets people dribbling about old bikes is they, 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 want, they want to buy it but so they can make it look like it's... so they can do it up. Which yeah, is, disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> we do it up. Yeah, yes. it's a it's a it's a very interesting subject. But but as time goes on, it's it becomes more and more difficult to find a bike that somebody hasn't messed about with. Yeah, and if you can find unrestored machines, um, then you don't have to pick up the pieces of other people's um, best efforts to restore them, and you know what you're getting. And when it's got a problem. If you've got enough experience, you can do it properly the first time. So I only really ever buy known, known, um, well, well sorted bikes, or else unrestored ones. And I've been very pleased to buy a couple of bellows that have got one of them has got twelve hundred miles on only from new, and the other one's got seven hundred miles on. So and I haven't even started either of them yet. And when, when Veloset went out of business, when? 67. Yeah, so it's been around oh, a while. No, a bit later than that, 71. Sorry, that's... Um, yeah, I forget. But uh, yeah, early 70s, I think. And were these Guernsey source bikes, or did you find no, them? How one, did you find them? One came from Prince Edward Island in Canada, to Thruxton, and uh, a thing of great beauty. And the other one uh, is of Veloset Venom with a chrome tank, and those those uh, glass fibre side panels that most people loathe, but it is, un it is untouched and I bought it from a fella I knew in, in Somerset. And you say you've never started them? No, I'm saving that 
for, for when? Well, I mean, when, when is the big well, day? I'm saving you... until I've sorted out the rest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm winning. I am winning. So that's going to be your treat, is it? Yeah. Yeah. To ride something that is effectively brand new, but 50, 60 years old. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> And the other bikes, I mean, because there's, um, uh, I was, I, I'm very lucky, Phil very kindly lets, lets me ride these bikes, so I, I rode a Norton a Commando for the first time ever a few weeks ago. Um, I've got a modern um, Bonneville, and, uh, but I rode a proper one from, what was it, 1978? 1968. 68. 68 Bonnie. Yeah, yeah, so proper, but again with patina on it, I think it's I'm fair to say. I one owner before my son bought it, yeah. and uh, again, it'll stay unrestored because it's a rare thing. And I guess I was surprised because, I don't know, I've got this preconception about old bikes are unreliable, or they don't stop, and they don't, you know, they, they're not the same as modern bikes, but actually having ridden on the old bikes, you're in, just, in, if they're set up properly, mm. they're brilliant. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with those bikes. No, no. The old one's clutch was interesting, that was quite hard. Yeah, you have to yeah, have strong yeah, wrists, well, but yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Quirks, yeah. Quirks, yeah. yeah. But no, I, I bought that Norton that you rode. I bought it in Wales after I met a fella on a trip. We went down to Santander on that. It's a lovely trip to do if you're interested. Go from Portsmouth to Santander, have a, have a 24 hours on a, a French ferry eating French food and a bottle of wine. Get off the boat in Santander and then have six nights going around the Paradors um, of Spain and Portugal. And anyway, met a fella there and he said he knew somebody that had a Norton where the chap had died many, many years ago and he'd been stuck in a, in a barn. And I, was, I went up to Wales to see it and uh, it had got something like 12,000 miles on it from new. One owner uh, seized and also, it had lots of things seized on it because it had just been in a barn. But I got it, everything unseized and I ran it and I rode it back to Wales about three or four months later to show the, the sister of this, uh, this fella who'd owned it. And uh, she was cockahoo, but it, 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 it's just beautiful. It's rusty, and people get upset by it, but it's, it's just the way it is. Yeah, we've yeah. moved on to patina seamlessly. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop. Yeah. I think I'm gonna stop this first episode at the word patina because we. I think it would be a good idea for us to discuss it because I, I think, I've suffered from, I don't know repairing slash restoring bikes a bit and I've learned a lot from Phil actually about that so I uh, you know and I can talk about bikes that actually I shouldn't have maybe bought I regret buying them just because they'd already been butchered and I spent a lot of time unbutchering them but whether I really just created another version of butchering I don't know um, and other ones that have just had so many problems because they've been abused I think yeah. and um, doesn't have yeah. the reputation of a bike when you've got one that's that's done great service. Yeah. Something wears out, somebody messes about with it, and and then you go, well, they're just rubbish, those bikes, because they're always breaking down. But actually, if they're right, they're right. Um, that's, I know it's a strange thing to say, but if you fix a bike properly, you can rely on it. And I, I've always relied on my bike. Yeah, so. yeah. Because you always, like you said, they've always got that bad reputation of breaking down, but that's always because somebody's fiddled with it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah so right. They were reliable. They were the primary source of transport back in the day. Yeah. So. And people needed them to work regularly to get, yeah. get to work. You know, relied on them. I mean, they weren't before they invented the mini. Everybody had a bike, you know, and, and most people had bikes unless you were very wealthy. And if you had a family, you would, you'd put a sidecar on it. But that's another whole story. It is. 
there are many more stories to come. Right, so that's the end of episode one of our podcast. Hope people have enjoyed this, found it interesting. Uh, coming up, we're going to do another episode on patina. So we're going to talk about old bikes and whether we should fiddle with them and, and doing it properly and what we should be looking to get if we're going to buy one and all those things to look out for I think is quite interesting. Um, and Phil loves patina, he likes a bit of rust on his bikes. Uh, you've got another episode lined up with Sophie Millard from Millards, which uh, for those of you that are not familiar in uh, overseas, is uh, Millards is a very, very old motorcycle shop. It's, um, it's real traditional, they've got an upstairs where they've got the, you know, a ramp where they look after the bikes and stuff. And um, they've currently got the Enfield um, dealership in Guernsey, but they also have looked after Vespers for, since Vespers began. Um, and I think they've been going for well over 100 years now. So it's it, it, you know significant old um, bike shop and the Millard family have looked after it since it began. Uh, so there's a real story there and we'll be talking about that in the next episode. So I hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you again soon.